Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. But I find the antidote to that is just keeping a sense of humor and staying humble and laughing a lot and doubling down on smiling. We're all just muddling through after all. We're all just doing the best we can. We're all struggling with our struggles. Nobody has the answers and everybody deep down is a little bit lost. Catherine Center, Hello Stranger. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by Bookshelf Floor Manager Olivia Schaefer to give you a rundown of our favorite new books releasing in July. Do you love listening to From the Front Porch every week? Spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and then tell us what you think. Here's a recent review from Caitlin. Like a good friend, listening to this podcast feels like the rare long weekends I keep with my best friends from college. We sit around for hours chatting about what we are reading and what we think the others would love. This feels familiar in the best possible way. Thank you, Caitlin. And thank you to all of the reviewers who've left kind words and thoughtful reviews about the show. That's just the vibe we're going for here. We're so grateful anytime you share From the Front Porch with your friends. Thank you for spreading the word not only about our podcast, but also about our independent bookstore. Now, back to the show. Hi, Olivia. Hey. Welcome back. Thanks. Every time I type the notes for these new release episodes, it takes me a minute to realize what month we're in (laughs) because I just, like, we record these mid to late ends of one month, but we're previewing the books for the next month, but also we're reading shelf subscriptions for fall. It's just very confusing. So we're here to talk about July new releases. (laughs) Yeah. And I think they're fun. Okay, good. It felt like a great stack. Okay. I felt pretty good about my stack as well, because unlike other times when I have to preview books, I've actually read a lot of these. So they should be relatively... Yeah easy to discuss. Okay. But I do want to ask a question that's unrelated, but related, which is how's your June reading? What's, what's your reading life look like right now? Make me feel better about mine. I mean, I had friends here for 10 days, so I feel like I haven't read for like half the month. Um, and then I sat down last month somehow after reader retreat last week, (laughs) just a week ago, (laughs) (laughs) last year, more like, and I just plowed through like two or three books. Oh my god. Which are on this list. Okay. But they were really good, which is the only reason why I was able to get through that many so quickly. I'm impressed. And I ignored Walt. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so there there's a price to be paid. I yeah. I was reading, I was trying to finish a book. Well, this is hilarious. I was trying to finish a book before we got on this call, but that wasn't happening. I made it halfway through. But I was reading it and I thought, 
oh, I last finished a book while I was on vacation, which now feels like a month ago. It wasn't. It was just two weeks ago. But Yeah, but that gets stressful. Yes. Like I just realized, <laughs> oh no. Like, And I was trying different audiobooks. I think I finally got an audiobook that I'm actually enjoying. But I just felt like I couldn't – I don't know. I can't finish anything. And yeah, it, I mean, I know why. My life is chaos. It's fine. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but I did look at my June reading and thought, uh, it's June 14th. It's halfway through the month. I gotta, I gotta pick up the pace. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not even trying to keep count of how many, I normally keep count. And this year I'm just trying not to worry about what number I'm hitting, but still somehow those 10 days that I didn't read, I think I was getting angsty because I was just like, I get a sense of accomplishment when I finish a book. Yes. Since I haven't for this long, I feel like just a royal failure of a person. (laughs) I, okay, I don't feel like a failure, but. Okay, that's good. (laughs) But I do feel like reading is one of the activities that keeps me happy and sane. Like I enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. It's not just for work. Like I really enjoy it. And when I haven't finished something in two, two weeks is a long time for me not to have finished a book. Like that's. And so I just, yeah. yeah, And I just kept looking around going, but I like the book I'm physically reading. Now I like the book I'm listening to, but I think partly it's just summer. And I knew Aaron knew Aaron laughed at me every time where I was like, summer is going to be so chill. And Aaron laughed every time. And now here we are. And I'm like, oh, Aaron, you were right. It's not chill. (laughs) (laughs) You were correct. But now that reader retreat's done, maybe maybe my reading life will return to normal. Yeah. Okay, so we have several books we're going to be talking about today. Listeners, as we go through July's new releases, you can keep in mind that Erin has made browsing our podcast book selections easier than ever. You could just go to bookshelfthomasville.com after listening to the episode, then type in episode 432, just the episode number, 432, into the search bar, and you'll see all of today's books listed ready for you to pre-order. You can use the code NEWRELEASEPLEASE at checkout for 10% off your order of any of today's titles. Okay. How many do you have? Five? I have five. Okay. All right. Then I'm just going to kick us off. Okay. All right. My first book released this week, it was, oh, happy Independence Day, everyone. (laughs) Happy July 4th. Um, Who knew that books would release on July 4th? I was a little surprised by that, to be honest. But The first book on my list, released on July 4th, is Sunshine Nails by Mai Nguyen, and it is a debut novel about a Vietnamese-Canadian family, and they run their own nail salon, like kind of small mom-and-pop nail salon. And while they're running the salon, two things happen. The first is that a national news organization, or maybe even an international news organization, starts to pay attention to nail salons and claims that a lot of unsanitary things are going on in nail salons that maybe they don't clean their equipment and things like that. They kind of do an expose. And of course, what happens in this book is that even though the expose is about maybe more chain type of nail salons, the mom and pop stores are the ones that suffer. So that's the first thing that happens. And this Vietnamese Canadian family living in Toronto begins to worry about the future of their business. And then the second thing that happens is a big, like high-end, bougie 
name brand nail salon, like a big box store nail salon moves across the street from them. And while these kind of business crises are happening, the patriarch and matriarch of the family, their children come home and their children are not first generation immigrants. And so there is real tension between maybe the first generation immigrant experience that the mom and dad have as they have built this business from the ground up. And then their children who really want no part of the nail business, who really don't like coming back home to visit, are only back home because of some misfortune. But now their parents are trying to convince basically the younger generation to take pride in this family-run business and to try to help make it succeed when these other things like gentrification are happening in their neighborhood. I started this one for our summer lit lunch guide, and I really liked it. I liked the characters. I liked the family. Um, It's dealing with a lot of different kinds of issues and family dynamics. And then also my little small business heart just really, <laughs> I, I've had, you've got mail flashbacks where you've got the small store versus the big box store and where you've got this little mom and pop nail salon that's trying to show that like they run their business really well. They don't have maybe all of the bougie equipment that the new nail salon is going to have, but they know their clients by name. They take good care of their equipment. So they're also trying to fight against the rumors started by this news expose. Anyway, so there's a lot going on, but I found the characters to be really enjoyable and it's a good kind of beach summary read because the stakes are like just high enough, (laughs) just high enough where there's good tension, but also it's not too terribly (laughs) stressful to read. So it's called Sunshine Nails by Mai Gwyn and it came out this week. It's got a great eye-catching cover too. I think if it were a movie, I'd totally watch it because I feel like it would have a really good montage of like turning the store around, you know? (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I can picture it in my head. Their eldest daughter is like a marketing person, but I think she has lost her job at the start of the book. I I can't remember. So anyway, her parents are trying to convince her that like she could help them if she would just turn her attention from herself to the business. There's some real interesting like mother, daughter, father, daughter, like tense family dynamics. And then also the added thing of the immigrant experience. I think it's really lovely. My first book out this week is Housekeepers by Alex Hay. It is weird having a July 4th release. I have two. Right. A lot of mine were July 4th. And I'm like, the post office won't run, but I guess (laughs) the book world still does. (laughs) I was about to say, but we won't even be open. Yeah, we're never open for the 4th of July. We're obviously, we're recording this early. I'm sure everyone knows we're we're recording this early. (laughs) It's live, everyone. (laughs) Time is so dumb. It's why I pause every time I say a date. (laughs) It's why we always feel proud of ourselves when we're like, this book released this week. Yeah, but you can like hear my hesitation every time I say it. Because I'm like, is it this week? Yeah. Is it next week? Yeah. Who's to say? Who's, who knows? <laughs> anyway, this is Alex Hayes' debut novel, and it's about this woman, Mrs. King. And when we meet Mrs. King, she has just been relieved, aka fired, from her job as the head housekeeper at this like big ritzy house. It doesn't say exactly when it takes place, but I, in my head, pictured like eighteen hundreds type, like almost okay. Jane Austen era vibes. Mm-hmm. But Mrs. King originally had grown up around like a lot of con artists and thieves and 
like pawn shop people, you know, I don't mean to like single out <laughs> that group of people. <laughs> I don't know any pawn shop people. Shop <laughs> Sorry. People. But I'm pretty sure there is one lady in this book who runs a pawn shop. Okay, okay sure. <laughs> that just felt like very, I uh, just stereotyped. Aggressive uh, to pawn shop people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you ever watch that show where they would go through those storage containers and they'd like auction off like the stuff and like <laughs> did you because it very much seems like an olivia and her dad show like it's <laughs> i did <laughs> it's like something to do in my head you totally watched that show as well <laughs> <laughs> in any case um <laughs> mrs king just got fired okay. um kind of intentionally though she found out that the matriarch was holding this big ball at the end of the month Oddly, right after her, like, father passed away. So, like, it's a weird ball to begin with. They don't know who's going to come and whatnot. And Mrs. King, because she's upset about being fired and, like, other stuff that was going on there, decides that she's going to plan a heist for that day to literally steal everything in the house. So, like, she coordinates with a group of, like, other con artists, all women, a woman who owns a pawn shop <laughs> and she like has them all plan this like super elaborate heist. And like, there's like a pulley scene where they're like lifting things up windows. Like it is so elaborate and so well done. It's That's like fun. watching an ocean's 11 movie because okay. you get these little snippets of scenes that are like set up for the heist. Mm. And you're like, I kind of think I know where this is going, but then it all comes together in the end. There's just so much little setup scenes that are just so well done. But this one was just so much fun. I think I even like texted Aaron while I was reading it because I was just like, I love it so much. But it was excellent. Did you ever watch Downton Abbey? No. Okay. There's a, and everybody's going to be yelling the name of me. I shouldn't have even brought this up. But there's a character in that show and she's kind of this sneaky, a little bit conniving, basically like, whatever what's the i I shouldn't have even started this description (laughs) she's the chambermaid is that a word she yeah yeah she like she to the woman of the house and in Uh my mind i've already pictured her as kind of the person who's like gonna plan a heist against the people of downton there's one girl in this book who she's like the seamstress. So like she uh-huh. sews the matriarchs, uh, all of her dresses and she's getting uh-huh. like closer and closer to the matriarch. And I just pictured her as like Matt Damon's character with the big nose one. Oh yeah. Where yeah, he's yeah. just like in the inner circle, but like totally playing it off. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, great. I, those are, it's time to rewatch those movies. I love those movies. Well, and I recently rewatched them like maybe last summer or something. Yeah. They're good summer movies. They hold up. All right. Well, I, whenever you and I do these together, I do always laugh because your books are so plot driven. And like my next book is going to be like <laughs> two people who are married go to Maine. The end. Like, <laughs> they really are. <laughs> and so the difference is striking. Like I'm like, well, how am I going to describe this? Okay. So my book also came out this week. And to me, it is one of my more highly anticipated books of summer. I have waited to read this until I am going to the beach in a couple of weeks and just for a couple of days. And I have specifically held on to this book to read when I am at the beach. So it is called Pete and Alice in Maine. It's by Caitlin Shetterly. This is a debut novel. 
And it is a pandemic book. And so I know that's going to make some people feel a certain way and it may not be for you. But basically, Alice is married with kids and the pandemic hits March of 2020. They live in New York and she decides the safest thing to do is to take the kids and her husband and they're going to go stay at their summer home in Maine. Of course, it's kind of during the off season. So in that way, it reminds me a little bit of Elizabeth Strout and some of the books she wrote kind of set during the pandemic. The difference is perhaps that Alice and Pete, her husband, are not on great terms. And so she has to figure out while kind of hold up in this vacation home <laughs> in this, I'm picturing like a cabin on the coast of Maine while she's there with her kids and with her husband, she has to figure out what does family look like? What do people in crisis look like? Is her marriage worth holding on to? Is it something that she can kind of let go of that like the pandemic can maybe be the catalyst for her life to change. And so I'm very intrigued by this. I'm intrigued by this for a lot of reasons. I feel like I know a lot of people who during the pandemic know or read about two things, but I just feel like a lot of people, the pandemic either brought them closer to their spouses and closer to the people they love, or it made them feel like, uh uh-oh, <laughs> I got to get out of here. And so I think Alice is kind of at that crisis moment where her marriage was going along okay, but now there's a pandemic and it's either going to bring her and her husband closer together, or perhaps it's going to be what she needs to move beyond her marriage. So it's called Pete and Alice in Maine. I love a Maine setting. I love a book about next to nothing. Literally, I have nothing else to say about this book because that's all the book is. <laughs> is literally this woman kind of having a moment of crisis and, and re-examination. And boy, do I love that kind of book. So it's called Pete and Alice in Maine by Caitlin Shetterly. It came out this week. It also has a really fantastic beachy cover. I very much am hoping it's my this season's Mid-Coast. I don't know if you remember when I read Mid-Coast last year, but I loved that book. And so I'm hopeful that this will be the same kind of vibes. I don't know if it's like more and more books are getting published in Maine or you're just finding, like <laughs> seeking them out. <laughs> I they, feel like they find me. I think they find me. You've read so many books set in Maine and you yeah. live in Southern Georgia. <laughs> like the opposite. <laughs> it's like des- it's desperation. It's like the <laughs> book gods know she needs this. She, yeah. She, the she publishers needs to feel like she's somewhere like, else. Annie Jones will like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very different. Set in Oregon. My next book is Wolf Song by TJ Klune, which oh. is out this week and was originally published, like, I want to say in like 2014. It was years ago. Okay. Um, and I think he published by himself. And then Macmillan picked him up and he did so well with like House and Cerulean Sea and Under the Whispering Door and Lives of Puppets that they got the same cover artist for all of those to redo these books and oh. republish them. Good for him. Yeah. I had this arc for like uh, several months now and I was scared to pick it up because I was like, mm, I don't know if I can do werewolves. <laughs> uh huh. We all have our, we all have our lines. But I love TJ so much that I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to give it a go. And then that was the book that like sucked me in after reader retreat. And oh, I good. read it till like 11 p.m. one night while Walt was sleeping on the couch. And then I woke up early the next morning and just like finished it. Oh, okay. 
Apparently I do werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Exceptions are, can be made. I guess so. Um, as long as TJ's doing it, I will do it. But this is about this kid, Ox, who's not a werewolf. Okay. But we meet him when he's 12 and his father has like packed a bag and is like leaving. He doesn't want to do anything with his wife and his son anymore. So Ox is just left with his mom and has a really wholesome relationship with his mother. Like they are very close and it's kind of really beautiful just to see a son and mother relationship like that in a book. But Ox lives on this like little road where it's just his house and then one other house that's been vacant for like a while. But when he's 16, this family moves in, the Bennett family. They are the werewolves. And he befriends this kid, Joe. And they start this like beautiful friendship. And the Bennetts kind of take him in because they see he's kind of just like lost in the world without his dad. And his dad did a lot of harm to his self-confidence. And he just hits it off with the son, Joe. But then all this stuff happens. Drama ensues. Murder (laughs) and (laughs) the Bennett's have to leave and they leave for like three years. And then when they come back, Ox and Joe finally are just like, well, we love each other. (laughs) Okay. It is beautiful. It is adult. Unlike he has like a YA series. This one is adult. Um, There is like at the end of the book, a pretty much the door is wide open sort of scene just as a warning to everybody. But as we all know, TJ Klune does amazingly. The found family in this book is just outstanding. Mm. Um, it always makes me wonder, like, who is TJ Klune's found family? And yeah. may I join? <laughs> because I just feel like he he creates this found family where, like, literally anyone, anyone can join. Anyone is welcome. Uh-huh. You will be loved. Like, you will be accepted. And I just feel like I would like to be a part of his found family. And... <laughs> TJ, taking applications. <laughs> I wonder if he's done any <laughs> interviews about that. Because that does seem to be the through line through all of yeah. his books. It's kind of how you know it's like written by him. Yeah. This writing style is very different from House on the Cerulean Sea and like his other mm-hmm. adult novels. Um, there, It's like, I don't know how to describe it because I'm not great at describing words. But <laughs> it's like <laughs> short sentences uh-huh. And it's written from Ox's point of view. And Ox is like um, a kid slash then man who's like, he speaks very little words. So like okay. when you hear his thoughts, it's very concise and very short. Okay. But it kind of speeds you up as you go through it mm-hmm. because it's just like, I know exactly what Ox is thinking and it's just written right there for you. Hmm. Yeah, it was great. I'm so glad to know. I was curious because I saw they were re-releasing these and I wondered if fans of House in the Cerulean Sea, like if these would be too much for those fans, do you know what I mean? Like too werewolfy, I guess was my question. Too fantasy, maybe. Yeah. So it's good. I mean, it's werewolfy. Um, But if you can get through like uh, in the lives of puppets or like House in the Cerulean Sea where there's literally like a phoenix and a gnome and a fairy and the Uh Antichrist, like I feel like... You'll be fine. (laughs) Werewolves are nothing. (laughs) You're welcome here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. My next book is Excavations. This is by Kate Myers. There are two books coming out this summer called Excavations. This one is the one by Kate Myers. It is a book set in Athens, Greece during an archaeological dig, a modern 
archaeological dig. And you really have a variety of characters, but there are four who kind of tell this story. And it's Elise, Kara, Z, and Patty. And basically these four women come to this archaeological dig site through different situations, different callings. So Elise is an archaeologist who goes on digs all over the world. And every summer she returns to this site in Athens. Kara is a woman who works in the lab. So she takes what's been found at the dig sites and kind of analyzes them. Z is a down on her luck millennial who several summers ago, fictional summers ago, she worked on a dig and really loved it. And now she's trying to recapture that magic. So she signs up to kind of just be a helper on this dig site. And then Patty is this misfit Gen Z college kid who is just desperate to travel. And she gets an internship and comes to to Greece as part of her internship. So these four women kind of convene on this dig site where this guy is kind of this misogynistic, I say misogynistic, he definitely is, but he's also just kind of this bumbling old man. Like, I feel like I read this book and I was like, oh yes, I know a million people like this, where he just, he is probably, I don't know, probably in his late 60s, maybe his 70s, and he is very accustomed to people kind of fawning all over him. He's like a archaeological expert, and he's used to people kind of fawning all over him and and giving him exactly what he wants. And he's worked on this dig site for years. It's the site of the first Olympics. And as the dig reconvenes for summer, the women and then other members of the dig realize that there are some pieces missing. So some pieces that have already been found that are missing and they kind of take it upon themselves to figure out what happened, like where those pieces are. And then they start to wonder who on the dig is worthy of trust and who is maybe part of the reason these items are missing. At the same time, you get a whole lot of interesting stuff about archaeology, about Athenian history, about the history of the Olympics, which of course I loved. And then there is speculation in this book. I do not think there is speculation, although maybe there is, I don't know. But in this book, there is speculation that what if the first Olympics were actually conducted and run by females? And so that is some history that these women think might've been buried. So I really liked this book. The closest comp, I really have not read anything like it's part of the reason I enjoyed it. Like the writing wasn't always maybe my very favorite, but I just thought the storytelling was pretty original. I, again, I've never read anything like this. The only comp I really could think of was the book, We Keep the Dead Close, but there's no mystery element here other than kind of these, these missing artifacts because we keep the dead close is, is kind of a work of true crime nonfiction. But but the attention that Kate Myers gives to archaeology, and in fact, she did study archaeology at UPenn, and so I think that's part of the reason those details are so vivid. But the setting is great. If you're one of those readers who during the summer you really like to read books set in far-off places like Maine or like Greece, then I think this would be appealing to you. Like if you want to get to go on vacation, but you're not going to get to go on vacation this should do the trick. And again, I thought the four voices of the four different women were all, I feel like it can be rare to have four really unique, distinct female voices, but these were, I thought all of these characters were really well drawn out. So it is Excavations by Kate Myers. I think it's really an unusual little book that I thoroughly enjoyed. It came out this week.
I like how the Gen Z one is named Patty. Yes, I do too. It reminds <laughs> me, wasn't, did you watch Doug? I'm pretty sure Doug, his friend was named Patty. Did you ever watch that show? Is that, is that yes. an elder Molly? Okay. No, no, I did. I <laughs> dated the son of the creator of Doug. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, his, his father did all the voices. <laughs> I feel like maybe I shouldn't have said that on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Man, it was like very, very brief. Very brief. I love that you could, let me tell you, you can work five (laughs) years with a person and not learn the most very important things. I know that would be super important. (laughs) It's just so delightfully weird. Yeah. I saw him (laughs) on a commercial the other day and I was freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) What? What a world. I love it so much. Oh, boy. Yeah. He, yeah. It was fine. Um, So (laughs) my next book is Middle Grade. I feel like I actually, that's one of my June things is I have read maybe like two middle grade books, which is weird because normally in times of reading slumps, I turn to middle grade because I can get through them fast because I know I'll like them. And I don't know. I just did not turn to middle grade this month. But I did read this one, and it was it was fun. Uh, this is out next week. It's Mystery of the Radcliffe Riddle by Taryn Souders. And it's about this little boy, Grady, and his dad, who, when we first meet them, they find out the, like, um, eccentric lady, oddball, if you will, in town. Her name is Eudora Clinch. Everyone calls her Kooky Clinch. <laughs> love it. Love she it. has just passed away. Um, and no one has any connections with Eudora Clinch. But when she passed away, Grady gets approached by her lawyer who is going through her will. And she left like several things to her last living relatives who she didn't know mm. and who happened to be um, Grady's mother who had passed away a little while ago. So Grady and his dad are now just like, I think they get like all of her cats. <laughs> okay. Or no, no, no. They get her cat food because her cats got left the house that she lived in. And now they're in charge of feeding the cats. I see. So the cats got the house. The cats got the house. <laughs> so there were like a lot of cats too. And that's me saying it. It was like a lot of cats. <laughs> like two digit, two digit oh. number of cats. Okay. Um, But on top of that, they got left this like 300-year-old tapestry in this frame. And at first, they don't think anything of it. And then they realize that like there's been this whole like rumor theory about like Eudora having like a treasure map. And this old tapestry is the treasure map to Mm -hmm. like a long lost treasure that her family owned, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so... Grady and his dad are, like, down in their luck. Um, They're about to have to, like, move into a trailer because, like, Grady's dad makes cabinets for a living and they live in a small town and now everyone has cabinets and, like, (laughs) whose cabinets are you supposed to do? And so Grady and his two best friends start to try to figure out, like, put the clues together on the treasure map to, like, find the treasure. And it was just one of those middle grade books where you're just, like, everything about this is delightful. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm fun. having so much fun. It's low stakes because it's middle grade and you know mm-hmm. it's going to work out. So like, mm-hmm. even if like Grady is about to move into a trailer, you're like, but he won't, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is 
uh, why I love middle grade so much. Um, but I did really like this one. I liked the setting of it and I liked the mystery behind it. And I really liked the three kids who were trying to solve the mystery. They were a very funny bunch all together. So it was delightful. Mystery of Radcliffe Riddle. Okay, my next book is A Lady's Guide to Scandal. This is by Sophie Irwin. Last summer, one of my favorite kind of surprise reads of the summer was a book called A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting that I picked up at the bookshelf, not as an ARC, but as an already published work because I loved the cover. And so I brought it home one weekend and was just utterly delighted by it. It just took me by surprise. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And now this is Sophie Irwin's kind of follow-up novel, completely standalone. You do not have to have read A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting. However, I really loved A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, and I would recommend that you read that one as well, even if you don't read it first. So A Lady's Guide to Scandal is a paperback original. And these books are set in, well, okay, they're kind of supposed to be, I'm sure, inspired by Austin, but I'm calling them Bridgerton, but make it PG. So if you, like me, watched Bridgerton, but were like, wow, what a lot of sex, then here, <laughs> I have the books for you. <laughs> So calm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was. I was so calm about it, but I was like, wow, this is a lot of sex. And so I love these books because they have the sexual tension, the chemistry, the wit, the banter that Bridgerton has, but closed door. So that I think is why I was drawn to these books. I did really like about this one. Uh, in fact, my last two books that I'm going to talk about, this one and the following one, dealt with art and portrait artistry, which I did not expect these books to be connected in any way. But I really liked that our protagonist, Eliza, is a portrait artist. But of course, that's not something she has fully lived into or experimented with because all that was expected of her was that she marry to save her family from poverty. And so she married like a man 20 years her senior. He has now died. Eliza is a widow. And she finally kind of gets to live on her own terms. Where the book gets its title is that she's allowed to live on her own terms and retain her husband's like inheritance. Like she has inherited, he's left things to her, but only if she avoids scandal. And so she and her cousin Margaret, who is a fantastic side character who should get her own book, and maybe she will. She and her cousin Margaret go to Bath, England, where they kind of live it up, you know, because Eliza is finally like, I think she's 27 in the book, but she's been married since she was 17 to this kind of skeezy old man. And now she's getting to just live the life of a single woman with her cousin. And their friendship is really lovely, but they meet Lord Melville and his sister, and they are a couple of... British Indian people who kind of gravitate towards scandal. And so Eliza and Margaret try to like stay away from them because of their reputations, but they just find themselves drawn to Lord Melville and his sister. What I liked about this book too was it has a really, really realistic love triangle. Not always are love triangles realistic. I feel like you always wind up hating one of the one of the suitors. And in this one, at least initially, I was like, oh, this is a really believable love triangle where you don't really know who she's going to wind up with. Again, a lot of times in a love triangle, I feel like you can tell. I thought all of the characters were great. Lord Melville and his sister were really interesting and fun characters. 
they are both writers. She writes about the community that they live in and kind of draws a lot of flack for writing about these people and kind of making caricatures of them. And then he is also a writer. So all of these characters have other things going for them besides just their romantic relationships, which I also really appreciated. Again, I personally would probably start with A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, but you can read them completely standalone and separately from one another. A Lady's Guide to Scandal is out on July 11th. See, I feel like the difference between you and I reading is like that book probably has a lot of plot happening, but you are so into the characters of the book and not necessarily the plot. Yeah, it's true. And and <laughs> and many of my books aren't just not as plot driven. I mean, <laughs> she, she paints a portrait like <laughs> like like you know what I mean? She paints a portrait, she tries to keep her inheritance. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> there's no heist, there's no murder. <laughs> then why are you reading it? <laughs> uh, um okay well hang on to your seatbelts for this next story (laughs) buckle up buckle up your seatbelts for this next. hang on to your hats buckle (laughs) up your (laughs) seatbelts it's hang on to your hat yeah the wind yeah yeah you got it (laughs) my next book coming out july 18th is cutting teeth by chandler baker i haven't read anything by chandler baker she wrote the whisper network and she wrote another book that i can't remember the name of i recognize her name This one just looked super fun and intriguing to me because like the cover of it is this like bright blue background and then it has this white picket fence with like blood dripping down one of the, Oh, I heard it as I said it, (laughs) but like, yeah. So this is about this like little four-year-old preschool class and you meet like a couple of different moms and a couple of the kids in this class they they get a group of biters. So like the first scene is like one of the mom is there to like pick up her kid and her kid gets bitten by another kid, which at first you're just like, okay, kids bite, you know, they don't have the words. So like they just bite. But then some of the kids start getting like aggressive with the bites. Okay. And then some of the kids start like craving blood. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm actually here for this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like it, for the crowd who like Southern Book Club's guide, but there's yeah. no horror involved. Mm-hmm. It's just like one of those where like suspend your belief a little bit and uh-huh. just follow follow along as we watch these little vampire children. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great because okay, so first they start craving blood, and then some of the moms just start like they like needles in the skin like pulling blood so they can just like feed their kids because then their kids are more manageable and for a second I was just like okay are we serious here and then I was like wait Olivia (laughs) I'm reading a book about children who are craving blood like we're not (laughs) we're not anywhere near reality (laughs) (laughs) yeah you have to just let it go yeah um and so then their preschool teacher gets murdered in the classroom and so okay. this like investigation starts and you'll see this detective like throughout interview these little four-year-olds to try to like piece together what happened because the okay. teacher, like no one knows how she died, but like two of her fingers are missing and there are little footprints walking away from the teacher where okay. she was found. And so you're kind of just like, mm, 
did these little four-year-olds kill their teacher? (laughs) Right. And then another teacher gets hired. And now I'm currently reading this part, but now they have like a serial pooper in the classroom. (laughs) Okay. There's been like four poops found around the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, You and I have been watching, I I think I am very much devoted at this point. I think you and Walt have been watching off and on X-Files and this sounds like an X-Files episode, like one of the more fun X-Files episodes. Yes. We're like, what's happening? They think it's like, um, Reinfeld syndrome, which, you know, is Dracula's like assistant. Oh yeah. Is a quote unquote clinical term. Okay. But has never been proven as like an actual diagnosis. Okay. But these parents are taking it pretty seriously. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so they don't die, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's great because the mom's drama is like, is pretty fun. Yeah. Are you reading this or listening to it? I'm reading it. Okay. It's, that sounds actually really, <laughs> I don't know what this says <laughs> about me that I'm like, of all the books Olivia's talked about today, this one is the one. Children Vampires. <laughs> That's what I'm going to yeah. go for. Totally. I don't know what it is about it. I think because there is an air of like humor to it, but yes. the writing it's, it's almost like satirical humor where like the yeah. writing is very serious and like the book is like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're taking it seriously, but then you step outside of the book and you're like, these children are just being fed blood. <laughs> like, right. What's oh, happening? Man. Okay. I think I am going to have to read that. Felicia came into my office the other day and said, Annie, you like satire, right? And I said, yes. <laughs> and then she started talking about The Office, and I was like, indeed, yes. <laughs> Perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, I do like satire, and I guess I also like vampires. I don't know. I like that. I like Southern Book Club's Guide. So, yeah. Say. It was great. Okay, my last book is Hello, Stranger by Catherine Center. This also comes out on July 11th. I listened to this book, and I I am going to try harder on the podcast to name narrators when I can remember to do so. So this audiobook was narrated by Patty Murin. She is a fantastic audiobook narrator. I thoroughly enjoyed this book because of her narration. So I read Hello, Stranger because... Earlier this year, I fell in love with The Bodyguard, which is a book that Nancy read and loved last year. And I really had no intention of reading it, but then I downloaded the audiobook and really, really liked it. For me, I think I preferred The Bodyguard to Hello Stranger. However, really great audiobook. And because I had just read A Lady's Guide to Scandal, which was about this portrait artist, Eliza, Sadie, our main character in Hello Stranger, is also a portrait artist. The difference is that one day she realizes, this is going to sound bleak, but she realizes she has a brain tumor. It's an operable brain tumor. It's not cancerous. I don't believe it was just like something that had to be removed. Maybe, Maybe tumor isn't even the right word. Anyway, cyst, tumor, whatever. So she goes, she has surgery to remove the the thing from her brain. And when she comes to, everything is fine, except she has temporary onset face blindness. And face blindness is a real thing. Catherine Center has a great author's note at the end of the book that talks about face blindness and the kind of two different kind types of face blindness, facial blindness. But anyway, Sadie is in the middle of getting ready for this portrait contest. And it's like her chance for a big break. She's kind of living the artist's life and she's kind of broke and is trying to prove to her dad that she 
you know, in her late 20s as she approaches 30, that she really does have her life together. She can live as an artist. She can support herself. Um, so she's she's getting to submit work to this to this big art competition, but now she is face blind. And so how is she supposed to draw a portrait when she cannot really differentiate people's facial features? And of course, at the same time, she has a really obnoxious neighbor who she finds to be super annoying, but he's very helpful. He comes to her aid many times throughout the book. Um, She also has a handsome veterinarian who helps her take care of her dog. So there's some obvious romantic comedy elements as well. There's some romantic elements. This is a closed door rom-com. And in fact, I would almost, it is a rom-com, but it almost reads more like, and I I hate this uh, publisher descriptor, but I really don't know what else we're supposed to call it. But it very much reads like women's fiction, where the story really does belong more to Sadie. And then the romantic elements, I think, are more subplots than anything else. I mean, they're interesting. Um, but really, it's about Sadie and her trying to navigate her new world. I thought the stuff about face blindness was fascinating. Erin listened to this as well and really loved it. I think this was her first Catherine Center book, but she thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think for the same reasons I did. There's also, again, just a great author's note at the end, not only about face blindness, but just about hopeful books and why writing hopeful books is important. And I think Catherine Center, that author's note just made the book really special. So I really liked this. If you like Catherine Center, I think this is more of what you've come to expect from her. I think that this one is pretty enjoyable. It's called Hello Stranger and it's out on July 11th. Stuff You Should Know has a great podcast on facial blindness. I listened to it last summer driving up north. It was great. It's super fascinating. It is really interesting because she in the book, so she can't, like, I felt, I really felt for her. And there's one character in the book that I felt like was underdrawn. Like, she's really villainous. It's her, like, it's her stepsister, Sadie's stepsister. But, like, Sadie is going about her business and she starts interacting, but she doesn't even recognize her own stepsister. Like she soon has to realize like tricks around it. So she really pays attention to people's hair. She pays attention to what they wear. She really comes to rely on voices and things like that. It it was really interesting how the character in the book had to just to interact in daily life was a real was a real challenge because you forget how much you rely. Cause you know, I think we've all said before, Oh, I know your face, but not your name or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she, she, she doesn't have that. Like, it's almost like you're missing social cues then if you can't know somebody's face. And if you also can't read a facial expression, like we forget how much facial expression is so important. Yeah. So yeah, I may have to listen to that podcast. Sadie was a great protagonist because of these challenges she was kind of having to overcome. Yeah. Speaking of great protagonists, my next book is Mrs. Plansky's Revenge by Spencer Quinn, and it's out at the very end of the month, July 25th. And this is about a woman, Loretta Plansky, who she has like a big fortune behind her name because she made this invention. I'm pretty sure she did like the self, that knife that like heats up and like toasts the bread as you slice it. Yeah. And so like her and her husband made a fortune off of it. He passed away and now Loretta has like two kids and lives by herself in like Southern Florida. Uh She's like a part of the country club. She plays tennis. Like Loretta is a whole, a whole vibe. I love her so much. 
Yeah. But Loretta has two children who have now asked her for like huge sums of money. Her daughter asked for like startup money for this business that her and her new boyfriend concocted. And then her son asked her for money for, I forget what, I think it was business related as well. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. Because Loretta is a yes person. Loretta Uh goes to bed and at the middle of the night, she gets a call from one of her grandsons and he has just been arrested. He needs like $9,000 to like post bail. And he like gets her bank account information and hangs up. And Loretta doesn't think twice about it. (laughs) Cause she's like, of course I'm going to help my grandchild. So she wakes up and she gets a call from her accountant and was just like, Hey, did you mean to like, take all of your money out of your account. She was like, no, why would I do that? And so then they start to piece together. Loretta got scammed. Oh. Um, and so like the FBI gets involved, Her like all of her accountants get involved and like ever, her lawyer. And basically they're just like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Like oh, you, no. you gave them the information willingly. Like we can try to track it down as far as we can, but like there's no hope of getting your money back. Mm. And Loretta did not take that answer. And so she flew to Romania, like tracked them down herself, flew to Romania to like go get her money back. (laughs) I love it so much. It was like for fans of like killers of a certain age. Yeah. It was just so much fun. And Loretta was just a great character. Like she meets a journalist over there who like knew about this ring of like con artists in this small town in Romania and was Mm -hmm. just like, if you want to team up with me, I can write about it and you can get your money back and we'd be a great team. And Loretta's like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I love this because nothing makes me more angry than somebody taking advantage of an older person. It makes me furious because Jordan and I, I'm sure you guys, well, I don't know where you live or not, but like we'll get mail that like looks official, but you know, it's not, do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And we always look at it and we're like, somebody is going to think this is legit. Like an older person is going to look at this piece of mail and think it's legit. And Jordan's grandmother, um, who now suffers from dementia, but when she lived at her home and not not an assisted living facility, she, she like she would get phone calls and stuff, and she would just say, "I've got to talk to my lawyer," and she meant Jordan. Like she would just use him as like an excuse because the amount of people trying to take advantage of the elderly is yeah. ridiculous. And so I love that Spencer Quinn was like, "You know what? Let's have an older woman now take revenge. Let's let's have her." Yeah. you know, stand her ground against these con artists. I love it. And she did great. At one point, she, like, repels out of a window in, like, her <laughs> hotel. She, like, rescues these two little Romanian boys that were, like, caught up in the con and, like, they <laughs> escaped to Ukraine on, like, motorcycles. Like, Loretta is just the best. <laughs> okay. This is another book that I might have to read. I remember seeing this in yeah. the catalog, and I thought, oh, this sounds good, because I loved Killers of a Certain Age so much. Yeah, um, this one is less violent, I think. I okay. mean, yeah. Yeah, sure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, violence goes over my head sometimes in books, so. <laughs> K- Killers of a Certain Age, you forget that that book is violent until you start describing it, and then how the different characters die is rather gruesome. But, <laughs> but it's really yeah. entertaining. Well, we're trained spies. This is a woman who plays tennis at her country club, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I'm going to have to read that as well. 
Okay, so those are the books that we are looking forward to releasing in July. Don't forget that you can go to bookshelfthomasville.com and type 432 into the search bar where you can see all of today's books listed ready for you to purchase or pre-order. You can use the code NEWRELEASEPLEASE at checkout for 10% off your order of any titles. This week, what I'm reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Summer is a wonderful time to see Thomasville, Georgia. If it's time to hit the road for a quick getaway, we are exactly what you're looking for. You can rekindle your spark, explore historical sites, indulge in dining out, shop at amazing independent stores, and finally relax and unwind. There's no better getaway than Thomasville. Whether you live close by or are just passing through, we hope you'll visit beautiful Thomasville, Georgia. It's worth the trip. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. I wanted to say that I think on the last episode I recorded, I talked about reader retreat and getting to see Thomasville through visitors' eyes. And it was so fun now that kind of reviews and pictures and photographs and Instagram posts of reader retreat are coming in. I am really loving seeing what different people picked up on when they came. And so one of our retreaters, Stephanie, posted some really beautiful pictures just of her walk from the Marriott to downtown, which is just a, the Marriott is literally located just, I think, two blocks from downtown. And so pictures from the Episcopal Church, from George and Louis, really fun kind of antique looking sign. And you just forget how walkable and photographable, <laughs> photogenic Thomasville is. And I I loved seeing that little brief walk from the Marriott to Thomasville. I also want to let visitors know that we have some really great Airbnbs downtown. Some of our podcast listeners visited and stayed in an Airbnb located right above South Life. So if you come to town and the Marriott is already booked, there are so many within walking distance. There are so many Airbnbs near to downtown Thomasville. So you can come plan your summer getaway and just live like a local for a little bit, which I think would be really fun. This week, I'm listening to Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek by Thea Glassman. Olivia, what are you reading? I'm reading Cutting Teeth by Chandler Baker. Thank you again to our sponsor, Visit Thomasville. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cami Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. 
each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.